Welcome to Dynasty for the Common Man, where an average Joe Dynasty player just wants to talk with other average Joe Dynasty players. My name is Nathaniel Broughton. You can find me on Twitter at Nathaniel Bro. Follow me for interaction. I don't push out any hot takes or statistics or anything like that. What I like to do is talk draft strategies and Twitter polls and talk trade ideas. So find me on Twitter and let's connect. Let's get to this week's show. Okay, so second part of uh, my narrative series tonight, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to to dive in. This one I found a little bit harder to kind of crystallize my thoughts because I guess I'm more of a uh, spotter of narratives and not an agreer of them. So, <clears throat> but there are a few kind of narratives slash strategies um, to to player values that I, I do agree with. Um, I'm not sure if you would call this a narrative as much, but there, but it, you hear it a lot in um, kind of analyst uh, podcasts and things about viewing your players as uh, stocks in a, in a portfolio and that when the stock of that player spikes, that's a selling opportunity. And if a player value... Uh, on someone else's team drops significantly, then that's a, a buying opportunity. Uh, and you don't want to sell your player if your their stock drops. And you don't want to necessarily be buying other people's players if their stock, stock spikes. Though, there are arguments for buying high on players. Um, but I I generally do fall into this, this narrative of viewing your dynasty team as, as stocks and looking at whose value is inflated due to um, either past production or um, is being hyped in kind of redraft scenarios or who's, you know, coming off of an injury or has a lot of question marks that you still believe in the talent, but because of those question marks, people are more open to selling them. But I do think that buying low, unless it's an injury, Buying low is, is difficult. Um, buying low during in for an injured player, kind of you know the talent. You just know that um, they're not in someone's starting lineup for a while, and so they're more prone to move them. But buying low on a player that hasn't produced, um, but people speculate um, won't produce, that that can be tough. So, for instance, a couple years ago. Devonta Freeman came into the league, um, and then the follow the very next year they drafted Tevin Coleman, and so it was Devonta Freeman's second year. Everyone he didn't produce that well as a rookie, and Tevin Coleman coming in made it look like oh yeah the Atlanta Falcons don't believe in in him, and so his stock was really low. That was also the year he just like went gangbusters uh, in the NFL and was producing you know, ride receiver one major points. Um, and so someone could have bought low on Devonta Freeman, but it would have been really hard to foresee that because it just, it looked, you know, from an outside perspective, like um, the Atlanta Falcons didn't believe in him and he had no, you know, proven production in the NFL. Um, so, uh, I think that I think that, you know it wasn't injury based. It was just 
something about his second year that made him take off. I think that's really hard to produce or to expect and to to buy players successfully um, in that. So I have this a little bit harder time with buy low players unless it's injury based. So um, that's you know I've mentioned several times about Geis, um, but another one right now that people are still uh, I don't think as hot on would be Cooper Cup. Um, I think he's going to have a, a great year. Every time that he's healthy, he's performing really high on numbers. And I think he had an injury last year that people made, you know, soured on him. Uh, Brandon Cooks, a similar, is a guy that people would just seem to kind of view him as a hot potato. They want him off their team. And because of that, you can get him for really cheap. And he also has, you know, because of that kind of concussion and injury risk in a down year, people are thinking that's the new... That's the new reality for Brandon Cooks, whereas the past, you know, five years, I think, or at least four, he was, you know, giving you a thousand yards receiving every year. And so uh, he's not old. Do you believe in the, this one year or do you believe in the last four? For me, that's a buy low opportunity. You get a potential a thousand yard receiver on your team for pretty cheap. Um, but as far as buy low and, and sell high in general, I do think timing matters. Um, so I've been a part of some mock drafts that Ryan McDowell runs on Dynasty Football League, uh, dot com, and you can see track record of when veterans in the league are, when, when their value is high and then when the value really starts to dip. And every year, it's the same thing. Their value is high when people are setting lineups and they want these players you know, starting for them. So um, Keenan Allen would be a great example of a guy who, uh, with questionable quarterback and, you know, Philip Rivers didn't produce that well last year. So Keenan Allen's numbers weren't, you know, super high end. They were still very good. Um, but he's older now and people are projecting, well, um, his best, best years are behind him. It's time to sell him. But if you sold him, during March or April, you really wouldn't have gotten a lot. So timing matters. Two, three weeks into this season, when people are setting lineups and they see a guy who's going to consistently give them, you know, eight catches and, you know, 90 to 100 yards, um, that, that value to them speaks more loudly because it's someone that can instantly start. Um, and so you don't want to sell Keenan Allen during March or April or May. You, um, you, you know, this seems counterintuitive. Like he can start on your team too. But if you're looking at a rebuild, you want to start to sell him. And maybe your team is competitive in those first three weeks and you want to keep Keenan Allen on your team. But if you notice, if you're going, you know, if you're five and five at week 10, then maybe you sell Keenan Allen at that point. Um, because he's no longer, you're no longer a team that really is significantly competing, um, and his value is going to drop significantly after the end of this season. Um, that's a guess on my part, obviously. Um, so timing matters when you want to sell your veteran players that are producers. You don't want to sell them during the off season. Uh, as far as assets that uh, or stocks that will increase in value, those. Uh, are 
that will increase in March and April will be your young players and your rookie picks. And so I find that this is the time that you, uh, everyone sees the glass half full on rookie picks and young players. Every young player is going to produce the next season if they didn't already. And every rookie pick, uh, the owner thinks they're smart enough to, to beat the, beat the averages and pick the right player. So neither of those things are true, but we all believe them. We're prone to believe them. We even, the ones of us who do the research, uh, we still believe those things too. And even, I feel like it's more prone for people to do the research because then they doubly think that they're the smartest drafter in the room. Um, and so there's a guy right now, Deontay Johnson, uh, wide receiver for Steelers. I don't even remember thinking about him last year during the rookie draft, but now he's he's broken the top 100 in dynasty average draft position. Um, and he, and he like, that's fine. That's a, a, a palpable price, but actually his trade market value is even higher. Uh, people are really believing in him. And so if I was a Deontay Johnson owner, which I'm not, I would totally be looking to sell him because it's very, very likely that he won't produce this year, but the hype around him because he's a young player uh, and people will see the glass half full and he's a Steelers wide receiver, which is a nice narrative um, to back up that value um, means that you can get a good, get a good return on that stock, which is high right now. Um, however, during like week eight, uh, Deontay Johnson, you know, he's still a young wide receiver and there's still other weapons on that offense. He's not going to be putting up, you know, Julio Jones numbers and the the owner of Deontay Johnson might start to see him a little bit more realistically. Now, if you like Deontay Johnson's talent and his, you project his future situation to be favorable, um, then week eight is a great time to try and buy Deontay Johnson. But trying to buy him in March and April and May and in June, it's just not, it's not wise. Um, you might miss out on the buying window. Maybe he blows up week one and week two and the owners, that owner's going to hold onto him tight. That, might, that happens. That's possible. It's also possible that uh, he's totally wrong. Dancy Johnson won't be good. Or that Dancy Johnson won't be spectacular right out of the gates, uh, in which case you're getting him at market value, a fair market value rather than an inflated one, which you would get, you know, like I said, in the spring, early summer. Um, so timing matters when you buy picks. Timing matters when you buy young players. Buy them during the season. Buy rookie picks during the season. Uh, and, and buy vets in March. You know, take your second-round rookie pick and get a player that you would never imagine would actually be available. Um, a veteran who can produce right away. So a great one would have been a Jarvis Landry. I mean... It's crazy how productive he is and consistent he is. He's going to be a starter in your lineup. And you can get him. You could have probably got him for a second round pick. Easy. Um, because of the hype around the rookie picks. Um, and so you're, you're taking an unknown, unproven asset. And you're getting a proven, known quantity in Jarvis Landry. Um, but he's older, right? He's not, he's not 22, 23. Um, and so, and, and people know what he is and he's not, 
he's not Michael Thomas. So therefore, to them, the second round pick might be Michael Thomas. <laughs> you know, um, uh, so you you kind of want to you want to minimize your risk and capitalize on kind of how people are misperceiving reality of value of players. And those happen during the season and during the near the the rookie draft. Um, so, yeah, that's my view on buy low, sell high. I think it's it's hard to do them in a vacuum, but it is a lot easier to do them when you put the timing around them that you buy low on vets during the offseason and you sell high rookie picks and young players during the offseason and you do the opposite during the season. You sell high on veterans during the, during the season and you buy low on rookie picks and young players. Another one I, I like to do is playoffs. Um, playoff games and Monday night football games are, they get great ratings and everyone's watching them. So you see one of your players go off on Monday night football. Uh, that's the time to start to consider moving him. And you're like, but you just saw him go off, and that's awesome, and there's points for you, points to be had. Totally true, but so did all, you know, nine, if you're in a 10 league, nine other players all saw that, that, that game and that player's, you know, per- performance. That's pretty rare for, a, for all of the people in your league all of a sudden to be liking your player. There might be one or two that like your player, uh, independent of, uh, you know, performance. But if they, if they all see them in a playoff game go off, they all are interested in him. And so you put him in the trade conversation and they're willing to talk. They're willing to see what can happen. And you can even, even get people bidding off of one another. So um, utilize those kind of high-profile games, Monday night football games, playoff games. Um, those, are the, those are times when you can consider selling high um, and maybe even buying low. Um, but usually it's the the really big production games that stick out in people's minds. And another narrative that I believe in is coaching tendencies. Um, I do think that teams perform track record wise based on their coaches and based on kind of quarterbacks. Uh, but I'm going to mainly talk about coaches. Um, so here's some kind of coaching narratives that, that I believe in. Kyle Shanahan, um, speaking about the Atlanta running backs, um, made that offense look great with Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman uh, both producing. And then he, he took over the San Francisco job, and, and you, you saw, actually this would be a great example of both here, uh, in the playoffs, Raheem Mostert uh, went, was just amazing. And you should totally be selling Raheem Mostert because that's quite an anomaly. And, but, it's, but it's also kind of expected that Kyle Shanahan knows how to use running backs. So uh, he's got a, he had a stable of them. I think some of them, like Matt Breda, has moved on. And I don't exactly remember what happens with, with Jared McKinnon uh, and Tevin Coleman. I think they're still both with San Francisco. <clears throat> Anyways, the point is that... Um, we should expect that he, he's going to give those guys really, really... Um, they're going to look good in his offense. So um, you should be having San Francisco running backs 
especially when you find the cheapest one available and you put them on your lineup um, and, and expect, or not, not in your starting lineup, but to put them on your team and expect that some, some point during the season uh, they're going to produce for you. And maybe there'll be a sell window at that point. Another, one, another coaching narrative is Bruce Arians um, and tight ends. People think he's an offensive genius, and so any player that goes there is going to be a producer. But we've not seen that true to, to tight ends. Um, for whatever reason, he doesn't scheme around them offensively, and now he's the coach uh, in Tampa Bay that really hurt O.J. Howard last year. Now uh, Rob Gronkowski comes on the team. O.J. Howard's value goes even lower. This is also a great buy low for O.J. Howard, whose prospect-wise was one of the best you know, college athletic and production profiles and all-around tight end quality. But Bruce Arians hurts him. And so does Rob Gronkowski. But maybe he gets traded. Um, and so... He's a he's a buy low that you can you can utilize, but you're gonna have to know that as long as he's with Tampa Bay, he's not gonna produce because Bruce Arians doesn't really prioritize the tight end in his offense, and with the amount of other you know high end wide receiver assets, can't really expect it. Now, <clears throat> the narrative right now is that Gronk and Tom Brady are together, so that kind of changes things. I'm not totally a believer in that still, because. Uh, Tom Brady has never had two really outstanding wide receivers uh, that he'll be able to throw to. Um, so it's very possible that Gronk has um, a couple of great weeks, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, like the good old days of uh, Tom and, and Rob just uh, totally in sync all the time. I'm, I'm not believing in that because I don't believe Bruce Arians will scheme that way. Another quarterback or uh, coach is Pete Carroll. A narrative around him is that he has favorites and he loves to run the ball. And right now his favorite is Chris Carson and who happens to be a running back. So it combines both of his, his tendencies to make Chris Carson an outstanding dynasty or fantasy football producing running back. Um, I won't say much more about that one, but his favorites, we saw him um, with Russell Wilson, just quickly uh, change course when they had, who was the Green Bay backup that got signed for big bucks in Seattle and didn't even really get a shot? I can't remember. But uh, Pete Carroll has his favorites, and he he moves on them quickly. Uh, Another coach, Mike Zimmerman. This isn't much of a surprise to most of the listeners. He loves to run the ball. He's going to run the ball. It doesn't really matter who's the running back. Uh, He's going to run the ball. And he happens to have an outstanding talent in Delvin Cook. And then the last coach, narrative is kind of together. I think Sean McVay and Bill Belichick both are unpredictable. Um, not in the sense of that they're going to, their teams are going to produce fantasy points, uh, but in predictable, unpredictable, unpredictable in that they're going to scheme differently. They, they'll just change. They could go from, you know, top five in the league and pass attempts the first six or seven weeks, come to the bye and they go top five running the rest of the season. You know, they can just change it. McVay did that last year in using tight ends the second half of the season. Bill Belichick constantly is frustrating fantasy football players with not knowing which running back is going to produce. Um, unless he had Randy Moss on his team, you really never knew um, who was going to start, which made Edelman the safe bet. 
Uh, Edelman not necessarily was always the week-to-week best scorer, but he was safe because you knew that um, if there was anything reliable, it was that Edelman was going to score, which is now the James White. James White is the um, consistent one. So if you need consistency, but you're not looking for high end, New England is an okay place uh, in a couple players. But if you're if you're trying to read the tea leaves on either of those two coaches, I would say good luck on that. Um, you know that they're quarterbacks. You know their quarterbacks are going to produce. Um, it's kind of obvious to say with Tom Brady being <laughs> one of the greatest of all time. Uh, but anyways, um, okay. That's, so that's what I do believe in coaching narratives. And then the last one is, it's actually back to kind of narratives I don't believe in. Um, and I think most people don't consciously believe this as well, but we, we tend to forget it. Um, and so here's a, I want to just talk about bell cow running backs. So I'm going to define a bell cow running back as someone who catches, catches the ball and gets uh, the rushing attempts. The majority of the passing touches and the rushing attempts. That's, that's a bell cow to me. There are players that get a lot of rushing attempts, but they don't get a lot of pass catches, like Derrick Henry. Um, and I'm still going to call him a bell cow because the extreme level of touches. Um, but here, here's an example of like the bell cows I see in the league today. Uh, and this is coming off of just this past year, and I, I kind of just ballparked the average. I took out some of like their... Uh, they're really, really high games of like 35 touches and they're really low, low games of like six touches. And then I kind of averaged the rest in case there was an injury. I would take that game out uh, of the equation as well. When they were healthy and it wasn't extremely low, extremely high, what could you expect? So Joe Mixon had about 21 touches a game and there wasn't really anyone on his team that was over like eight uh, to, to compete against. McCaffrey, I didn't even bother looking at it. It seemed obvious. Um, Zeke uh, averaged 25 targets, uh, touching the football (laughs) 25 times a game. Saquon Barkley, 23 times a game. Leonard Fournette, 24 times a game. Derrick Henry, 25 times a game. Dalvin Cook, 23. And Chris Carson, again, uh, Chris Carson, 25 times a game. There are other really good running backs that I wouldn't call bell cows for certain reasons. So the first one was Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs touched the ball 22 times a game, uh, which is one more uh, than Joe Mixon. But he also had uh, Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington, and those two combined for 18 uh, touches a game. And so he could have had way higher, and he didn't get any of the receptions. Joe Mixon got receptions. Um, if you're if you're not going to get um, receptions, it's really going to hurt your value. Um, another one, surprisingly, Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara, I would not call a um, bell cow in the same way that I would call a Saquon a bell cow uh, because he actually has a competent running back behind him in Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray averaged about 10 touches a game. Uh, Kamara, 20 touches a game. So he's getting 66% of the workload, and he's getting a, a 
the largest majority of the, of the pass catches coming out of the backfield for sure. So, you know, it's debatable whether you would call him a Belcar or not. He definitely produces like one, um, but he still has a, a competent um, backup who will just be in for, you know, whole, whole drives, you know, sometimes. Um, okay, here's another one that uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So taking out, when, once Kareem Hunt came back, Nick Chubb averaged 19 touches a game and Kareem Hunt 13 touches a game. Now, 19 is great. Um, but it also, again, he wasn't getting the majority of the, uh, of the pass catches compared to Kareem Hunt. And if you're playing in PPR or half point PPR, um, that's, that's a big difference. Um, another one was, uh, Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon. When Melvin Gordon came back, uh, Austin Eckler averaged 15 touches a game and Melvin Gordon, 18 touches a game. Uh, Devin Singletary out in Buffalo, um, from kind of week 10 or week 11 on, that's kind of when they started to really feature him. Uh, he was getting about uh, 20 touches a game, and Frank Gore was still getting about 10 touches a game. Um, okay, so the why this matters, first of, first of all, it matters because I think Chris Carson is still a bell cow. Derrick Henry is still a bell cow. Leonard Fournette is still going to be a bell cow. They don't have a Latavius Murray behind them. Um I think Joe Mixon is uh, going to even be better this year. Uh, Zeke will be stable. Saquon could be even better. Dalvin Cook could do as good or if not better. Um, but, uh, and I actually think uh, with Melvin Gordon leaving, I think it will be good for Austin Eckler as well. He might produce like a, a bell cow this year because he'll get receptions for sure and he might get a significant majority. Uh, he doesn't have a guy who's going to take 33% of the workload, I don't think like Kamara does with Latavius Murray. I also am hopeful that Josh Jacobs will start to see pass catches uh, come his way more, in which case he'll start to be, in my mind, a bell cow. Um, but here, here's why this matters. Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn, okay? Melvin Gordon with uh, Philip Lindsay. Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Damian Williams, DeAndre Swift, Kerryon Johnson, Cam Akers, and Darrell Henderson and Malcolm Brown, I think, are the other two. Um, when we talk about even Jonathan Taylor, we talk about him as a bell cow. His ADP right now um, is, is right next to Josh Jacobs, which Josh Jacobs has kind of proven himself this year, last year, Josh Jacobs' uh, ADP, if you were going to do a startup, you could have waited. Where was he? He went uh, as um, 30th, so he'd have been in the third round. Now Josh Jacobs, after kind of proving that he belongs, is going 14th uh, in startup ADP, so just outside the first round. The very next player is Jonathan Taylor. Josh Jacobs doesn't have... Josh Jacobs, I don't think, if if what we believe about the coaching staff giving him more passes, um, is he's kind of proven that he belongs. And we knew early going, going into the league that he was a good pass catcher. 
did in Alabama. It was actually the main thing he did well. Um, so we were kind of surprised that they didn't give him the receiving work this year because we thought that's what was going to be why they drafted him. But anyways, I think the road is cleared for that. But Jonathan Taylor does have Marlon Mack. Last year, uh, during July, you would have gotten Marlon Mack at uh, running back uh, in the f- fourth round. Uh, he went as the 38th player overall, right next to Chris Godwin and Aaron Jones. And um, now Marlon Mack's uh, stock has significantly declined. And Josh Taylor is being drafted as if he's going to get the bell cow work. But that just doesn't seem that likely to me that he's going to get, you know, 25 touches a game. He might get 17 or 18. Uh, But he's also not proven in the NFL. I would much be more comfortable with Jonathan Taylor if he was currently going where DeAndre Swift is going. DeAndre Swift is going as, as the 30th player off the board. So, uh, middle of the third round. The player right in front of him, Mike Evans, I would prefer to Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Kenny Galladay is a few picks in front of him. Odell Beckham, who's only who's 27 years old, right in prime receiving. He's uh, drafted right after DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift is, gonna, is a good talent, I think. But, again, he hasn't proven it in the NFL, and he's got a capable running back with him in on Johnson. Injury history, true with Carrion. Um, but, yeah, it's just, you, you can't expect him to get a full workload and you're drafting him like he already belongs in the NFL. Um, and so, I think Jonathan Taylor should be where DeAndre Swift is. And DeAndre Swift <laughs> should be uh, not being drafted ahead of Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette's 25 years old, and a lot of uh, I think I touched on, you know, workload versus age. He's obviously not old. He has a little bit more of a workload and that kind of lower body injury history. Um, but I think they're much more equal than they are uh, in, in drafts. Cam Akers is being drafted at Hannibal Leonard Fournette. I would definitely take the for sure thing for the next two years in Leonard Fournette over the Cam Akers, who we don't know. I like Cam Akers as well. But, of course, I fall into rookie fever, so I like all these players. You know, it's the problem with rookie fever. We like them all, and we think the glass is half full on all of them. And the vets, well, the glass is half empty on Leonard Fournette. But just take the proven production when you can. Take the proven production and worry about two years from – worry about your team two years from now. You know, two years from now. <laughs> um, don't take players that are risky ahead of players that are going to produce um, – because maybe one of them will be good when they have unclear you know, unclear uh, roles right now. Jonathan Taylor, like I said, Marlon Mack, Kieran's got uh, Swift has got Kieran. What I would really be expecting, like best case scenario for Jonathan Taylor, would be a Nick Chubb Kareem Hunt split, where Taylor gets 19 touches a game and Marlon Mack gets 13. Uh, for Karen Johnson and DeAndre Swift, I would project that it would be close to what Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler were seeing, where Gordon averaged 18 and Eckler 15. Uh, it very well could be what Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams were doing. I didn't even mention them. Aaron Jones averaged about 12 touches a game, and Jamal Williams, 11. 
you know, Aaron Jones got tons of touchdowns and so was a monster for your team. But you would not expect with 12 touches a game for him to produce the way he did. Uh, I would expect Swift and Carrion to be very similar to that. You know that, that Matthew Stafford is going to pass, so they're not going to be super run heavy. They're not the Tennessee Titans where they just feed the running backs. Um, maybe maybe Baker Mayfield uh, is just going to become uh, a game manager and they will feed, uh, feed Chubb and Hunt again. Um, but I, I'd expect that, you know, you're not going to... You're not going to see that with Swift and carry on. Um, and then, yeah, like Ron Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn, neither of them are super proven. Ron Jones, I feel like, has shown that he belongs in the league. He just belongs in a committee. And guess what? Most of the running backs belong in a committee. It's the way the NFL is going. It's a copycat league. I said one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight running backs that I view as kind of bell cow running backs. Uh, maybe you could go at nine with Josh Jacobs. But everyone else um, seems to me, and that's not even including Kamara. Okay, so we'll go with 10. 10 running backs that seem to get the bulk of the carries. And if they don't get a significant, you know, above 70% of the carries, they at least get a significant amount of receptions as well. Um, but I just don't see Keyshawn Vaughn doing that. I also am very skeptical of DeAndre Swift getting that, that type of action, whether it's justified or not, is out of sight of our control, right? We can be angry about it <laughs> to, to the coaches, but they don't care. They don't care. Uh, they're going to do what they want to do. Um, maybe you could speculate on Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack, but I, I would be hesitant to. And honestly, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and uh, Williams, I can't remember his first name now, um, that's one that... I would speculate on two, but I am still nervous. This kind of is like two narratives colliding. The narrative of believing everyone's going to be a bell cow when they get drafted versus the narrative of uh, the coaches. So I don't believe that everyone's going to be a bell cow when they get drafted, but we have seen a, a history uh, of Andy Reid using one running back. So maybe, maybe he will, quite out Edwards Hilaire will be justified uh, in his current draft position, but he's getting incredibly high ADP as well. Um, he's being drafted the 13th player off the board. Josh Jacobs is being drafted ahead of him. Chris Godwin is he's Chris Godwin is behind him. George Kittle is behind him. Juju Smith Schuster is behind him. Uh, those are all tough. J.K. Dobbins uh, is being drafted as the 21st overall. Man, I, I, I would love for that to be justified. Um, but I don't think that Mark Andrews, Mark Ingram, sorry, uh, is old. I think he's old age-wise, but not usage-wise. And he may fall off this year. He might not. And we might be seeing uh, a shared backfield for two years before Josh Dobson really takes over. Which, which with that offense, that might be okay. But you don't need to take him at 21 overall. Um, so it's just about the how high their value is right now compared to their unprovenness. And the nature of the, the league is that um, only 
there's only 10 bell cows out of 32 teams. So the majority of teams don't use a bell cow approach. They use a committee, running back committee approach, and it works. Chubb and Hunt works. Gordon and Eckler works. Singletary and Gore worked. You know? Uh, so <laughs> Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, it worked. So successful teams do this. Um, not to say that uh, Seattle wasn't successful and the Vikings weren't successful and the Titans and Cowboys offenses weren't successful, but uh, it's not um, it's not clear. Uh, but it seems more likely that a running back ends up in a one A one B or or work at best at best versus a, a committee at worst and a bell cow. Um, is like our dream. So we shouldn't be dra drafting expecting the dream. Um, but we are because <laughs> of rookie fever. <clears throat> so if you have Keyshawn Vaughn on your team, consider selling him. If you have Kerryon Johnson on your team, don't sell him. If you have DeAndre Swift on your team, maybe see what people are thinking and see if you can sell him now. Um, I would prefer uh, to to make a profit and end up being wrong than sit on my hands and be wrong and not make any profit. Uh, I don't believe that there is as many bell cow roles as we think. We think every running back is going to be a bell cow. Okay, speaking of bell cows, I've just beat a dead horse, and <laughs> that's all I have. Um I did get a chance to, uh, I wanted to just talk about this. Uh, in my home league, we wrapped up our rookie draft, which I didn't have any picks until the fourth round, which I ended up trading. Um, I, I had a bunch of them, but then I did sell high, uh, which is practicing what I preach, and um, got rid of the 102 and the 105 for uh, Tyreek Hill, and uh, Adam Thielen. Uh, and then I think I shipped a third-round pick along with Preston Williams for Herb Smith Jr. and a future second, which I don't know if that's buy high or sell low, <laughs> sell low or what that was. I think that was me just trading to trade. And then I moved a fourth round, the 409, for Kelvin Harmon, who I liked. Uh, he was a late second-round pick in rookie drafts last year. He got injured, so that's a bummer. Um, but I think that's why I got him for the 409. Um, and who knows? Maybe he'll come out to be a guy I can sell later. Or maybe he'll become a good receiver. Either way, I'm not putting a lot of stock in the number 39 overall rookie that I could have drafted instead. So, But anyways, what, what ended up happening while we were in the midst of the rookie draft, the conversation came up of converting to Superflex. I didn't even bring it up, um, but there was kind of a debate, uh, and then we ran a poll, and um, seven of the owners voted to make the switch to convert to Superflex. One owner said to keep it as is, and two other owners didn't vote. Uh, considering this league, that's actually a pretty good <laughs> turnout in the voting, um, and so we have decided we are making the switch to convert our 10-team, one-quarterback league into a 10-team Superflex league 
starting, not this year, starting next year. Um, it was a little unfortunate because all the quarterbacks had already come off the table when we decided to do that. But um, such was the nature of the beast. What we're going to do is we are going to, at next year's rookie draft, everyone will cut their quarterbacks down to owning just three quarterbacks. So you can't own like five or anything like that um, to kind of suck up the market. Cut, uh, cut down to three quarterbacks. The other th- quarterbacks will be thrown into the rookie draft so they can be drafted instead of the rookies. Um, and then starting the 2021 season, we will become a super flex league. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I was surprised that uh, so many of the people were in favor of it, which I shouldn't be because um, it seems like that is the growing trend that people are liking that the most valuable position in the NFL is becoming once again, a valuable position in their, in their fantasy football experience. So, um, unfortunately I only have Lamar Jackson, Phillip Rivers and Nick Foles. So I, uh, I'm in favor of making the move, but, but it will hurt my team. I had probably a win window for the next three years. Uh, now my win window is probably just this year. (laughs) So I really hope I win the trophy. Scott Kyle, if you're uh, if you're listening, I really um, send, sending bad juju your team's way. Um, so, anyways, uh, wanted to celebrate going to Superflex, and you should too. It's actually not that hard to convert. Just tell everyone a year out, make a couple tweaks to the rookie draft and to people's uh, kind of benches. And then you're all set. I am actually going to expand our rosters a little bit because now you're going to want to have some more quarterbacks on your team that normally wouldn't be. Like Andy Dalton will be on a on a roster this next year. Um, so you want to have space for those types of guys. I'm not exactly sure how many yet. Maybe maybe we have a 25-man roster. I might make it like a 28 or 27-man roster. We'll see. But that's all for now. And I'm sure you all care about that. So... That's just uh, my opinion on how you could do it, and it's it's actually fairly fair. So, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Nathaniel Bro. And if you've been listening for a few weeks and you want to join the podcast, uh, I would love to have you. I don't uh, expect expertise i just expect to have fun we can do some fun um mocks or or trade polls or analyzing things like that we can do questions um you could submit your questions to me at nathaniel bro i can talk about them with other people uh, but i, I just want to keep rolling with uh, talking to dynasty common men so uh and women if you want to join the program uh shoot me a message um, on Twitter, or if you know me, <laughs> send me a text. So, um, yeah, thanks again for listening, and uh, see you next week. <laughs>